Hello, my friends. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. This is episode 281. The title of it is EMDR. That is an acronym. It stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing Therapy. Now, this idea of EMDR, this therapy, it has been around for a number of years, and it has gained a little bit of momentum within the the broader Christian circles, and it is a common question that comes to our ministry. And so what I hope to do in this episode is to explain what it is, EMDR. Does it work? How Christians should view it, and whether or not it is a valid soul care method. And so I want to talk about all of these things in this episode. If you would like to talk to me about this, you're welcome to do that. You can come to our free community forums and ask a question about EMDR, or you can ask a question about whatever that may be on your heart. It is our desire uh, to serve you, and we want to do that, and we find no greater joy in helping people with whatever their vital issues are. Now, as I talk about EMDR, I do want to offer a word of caution to biblical counselors. Sometimes when we hear about a system that people are using and it doesn't square with biblical counseling, a sufficiency of Scripture worldview as EMDR does not, well, we can just rebuke it or dismiss it out of hand. But what I would appeal to you to remember that when you do rebuke a system or you're rebuking an idea because it doesn't meet your sufficiency of Scripture specifications, well, you're also rebuking people because there are people behind these therapies that are either administering them or they have received some kind of help from them. And so it, it can feel sometimes like an attack when you're doing that. And I think we all know that, but it's also good to be reminded from time to time that whenever you critique something, well, there are people who are adherents to it, and you want to be mindful of those people. And one of the things that I try to do is is ask the question, why are they using this? Why is it important? Why is it something uh, that they would apply uh, to their lives, that they would look at it for help? Because there are reasons uh, for that. And if you want to help them, if you want to walk anybody through something, you have to understand why they are into it. Why do they practice it, in this case EMDR. I can give you at least four reasons as to why a person would look to an alternate modality, something alter, uh, different from a sufficiency of Scripture worldview. One of those would be that they can't find a, a competent biblical counselor, that, and maybe they have tried a a certified biblical counselor, and that person was not able to help them. This is a common thing that uh, we hear about in our ministry. People will come to us, and they will say that I met with a a certified biblical counselor, but they were not able to walk us through our situation, or maybe they just didn't know that these that we people exist. But it is a thing, and and we want to make sure that we are sufficiently addressing the log in our eye as we are speaking or rebuking a speck that is out there in our culture. And sometimes the problem can be with us. Either we don't do soul care well, or maybe it's, it is that 
they couldn't find someone, and so they just reached out to to anything that could help them work through a struggle that they have, which leads to the second reason, which is pragmatism. We're all pragmatic to various uh, degrees, and depending on what the situation is, I mean, if your pain level is high enough, uh, you're going to want results, and you, you may <laughs> compromise your standards. Sometimes it's easier to have standards when things are going well, but when things are falling apart, uh, just any, any anything will do. Uh, could be the saying, and that is pragmatism, and I do understand that, and so uh, we all, again, can lean into pragmatism when our situation is dire. And then a third reason would be uh, ignorance. They just don't know a better way. There are a zillion people out there who don't know how to apply Scripture to their lives. They, They haven't heard of the Bible or they reject the Bible and they're just not familiar with it and the only thing that they have are cultural offerings. Well, you were like that too and so was I. You remember that time before God regenerated you? You remember that time before you could apply the Bible practically uh, to your life? I mean, we all have been in that place of ignorance and it makes perfect sense to me as to why someone would look at uh, something like EMDR. And then the fourth reason would be a faith issue. They just believe in secular modalities. Uh, this is a belief system. It is a faith issue. And and when you begin to address people's faith, you want to do it in a careful way and you want to be generous and you want to be kind. I'm not saying that you compromise a sufficiency of Scripture worldview, but just remember that there are people behind that worldview who either administer it or they have been helped by it, and you want to understand some of the reasons as to why they are beholding to it as you are critiquing it. And so I'm talking about EMDR here. And so first of all, let me explain uh, briefly what it is. It is an acronym and there are three big words here. Uh, eye movement, two words, uh, would be the first one. And eye movement, the EM part of EMDR, it means focusing your eye on something while you're talking about a traumatic event in your life or memories that you're trying to get rid of. Now, the, the eye movement thing or, or focusing your eye could be like a fixed object, like a pencil or a finger and the, the pencil or the finger or whatever the object is. It could be still where you're just fixating on it while you're talking about the trauma, or it could, or you could be, it could be moving back and forth, and that's where they get the idea of eye movement, and then desensitization. Well, this is talking about as you are sharing whatever the struggle is in your life, and you're fixated on, on this object. The idea is the longer that you focus on it during a session or a number of sessions, maybe six or seven counseling sessions, it begins to reduce the internal struggle in your soul. That's the desensitization process. And so the idea here is about exposure. As long as you are exposed to this process, of staring at an object or moving your eyes back and forth while you're talking about the trauma, uh, the trauma mitigates uh, in your mind. And then the last part, EMDR, is reprocessing, the R part. The more you do this, you also 
the more you practice the desensitization process. You also practice rethinking the event or changing the memories, and this is called reprocessing. And so that is a, a thumbnail sketch of what EMDR uh, is And it is a kissing cousin to cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT is a method that challenges thinking. It is another therapy. And, it, and the hope with CBT is that you can train the person to think differently about a situation which would improve their state. It's another way to retrain the mind to think differently about themselves, about a traumatic event or maybe about an oppressive, oppressive individual, somebody who hurt them. It could be a dad or another type of abusive figure from their past, but what they're trying to do with these therapies, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or EMDR, all they're trying to do is to retrain their mind. Now, EMDR, it was popularized by a person named Francine Shapiro, and basically what happened is she was taking a walk in a park. She's walking through the woods, and she was thinking about something that was troubling her soul, some memories that she had. And as she was going through the park, she noticed that as she moved her eyes back and forth that there was a reduction of disturbing thoughts. And so she came out of the park and began to wrestle with this idea of what just what she just experienced. And then there was uh, words attached to it, and it became an acronym, and then it was EMDR. Now, in one sense, this even though it's been popularized over the past number of years, it's not new at all. There have been versions of distractive therapies that have been around for centuries, like hypnotism, uh, for example, and it's just a way of managing stress. And it's important for us to understand that this is a secular way for people to find help. And I don't knock them for that. I mean, I totally get it. We were all not Christians once upon a time. We we were all in that place where we did not know the Bible, and we did not know that the Bible had more transformative power than just resolving a glitch in our lives. And like in Francine's situation, she had a glitch. She uh, struggled with her memories, and she was walking through the park and trying to wrestle with these things. And this kind of happened, and it seemed to help. And then out of that came this modality. And so that makes sense to me. And and pe- and there are a million of these uh, types of methods that have varying degrees of of results. I mean, PMA, for example, positive mental attitude, which was popularized by Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking. I mean, this has been around for decades now, and it's just another way to think differently. There are a million self-help books out there out there as well that don't talk about the Bible and don't teach from God's Word how to transform your mind, not just transform your mind, but transform your soul. Your soul is the basket word that collects all of your internal parts, and so the Bible can do that. The Bible has a more transforming effect over the soul, but there are these different techniques like EMDR or PMA, Power of Positive, uh, uh, 
positive mental attitude is what PMA is. And then I was referencing Peel's book, The Power of Positive Thinking, but there's a lot of PMA books out there. And then self-help. Self-esteem is another one that we're all familiar with. And self-esteem is this idea to help you to think better about yourself. My point here is these are all secular therapies that people have stumbled upon as they were walking through a park or they created from various reasons. I mean, there is a sense of superstition uh, to these things. And I don't mean to be unkind about what I'm saying, but it fits within that uh, nomenclature of trying to affect your mind. Let me give you an illustration of this. A baseball player who goes through a sequence when he's standing at the plate uh, getting ready to hit the ball. He will either, you know, spit or, you know, twist his neck or touch his arm or his chest or pull his jersey in some way. And he goes through this sequence every time because he's wanting to get himself mentally uh, prepared. And we, we call it superstition, you know, the baseball player that uh, doesn't shave his beard because he, he won a game and he didn't shave shave and so then he, he won another game and he hadn't shaved since the first game and then he and then he's just like oh I'm not gonna shave and so there's an element of superstition here but it's something that he could focus on and that's a that is an that is an echo of EMDR there I can focus on this idea that uh, I haven't shaved and so again there's an element of superstition there you'll also uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Pavlov effect Pavlov's dogs that you train uh, the dog you train the mind to respond at the ringing of the bell and then of course the placebo effect and so I'm just giving you a list of of considerations to point to that our culture like us we're looking for help because what we're all signaling is is that we're broken people and there are things that are wrong with us and if you don't know the scripture you can stumble on or you can pursue these different modalities and the question is can you find some help well of course you can find i mean the baseball player has found some some help by going through his sequence and you can find some help by staring at a a pencil or moving your eyes back and forth as you talk about your your trauma and the desensitization process begins to to take effect and then you go through the process of of changing your mind now one of the things that i really want to want you to understand is that some people would even say that this is is science and this is where you want to be careful it's not science it's not science in the sense that we know exactly what is going on in the mind i mean if you talk to a scientist a scientist would tell you that they know more about the universe than than our brains but the, the regular folk, the laymen who are into these things, they will tell you that this is science. They will, what they're doing is they're reading the results, in, they're reading science into the results. And then they say, well, I have these results. And then they read into that and they connect it to the brain. And then they make the assumption that something is going on in the brain. And then they'll say things, they'll make general speculative statements like well it affects the trauma part of the brain and when you hear that it's like okay well 
tell me how. And of course they can't tell you how. They can only speak in generalities. They'll say, well, it affects the left hemisphere of, of, of the brain. And, and it's the same when someone would tell you that, you know, I have ADHD because I have a chemical imbalance. And then you, but as you begin to explore these things, they can't tell you any more than what they just said because they don't know. And part of the, and if you challenge them, about whether it's science or not, you're not going to get far because they can't talk to you about it because science doesn't affirm this. It just there, there, There's no data out there that where science affirms this. And so we just need to move science off the table because those de- details uh, aren't there. But I do think that some people um, play the science card because it, it, it helps them to affirm Uh, It increases their faith in the process of what they are doing. And when you can drop science on something, and we see that in our culture all the time. Uh, Right now we're in 2020 and the COVID thing, and science has probably been used almost as much as the word COVID has been uh, used because if you can drop the science word on what you're doing, there's a, a sense of affirmation and it increases your faith for doing it. But this is not science, and there's no, again, there's no data out there that would prove that. And so that's just, that cannot be a talking point. Now, one of the other things that's important to remember is that this is EMDR, is a fluid therapy. But then everything is a fluid therapy, including biblical counseling. All therapies, all counseling practices are fluid. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I'm not talking about the Bible changes and that the Bible is fluid. No, the Bible is not fluid. But the people who administer it make it a fluid therapy because uh, what we do is we glom our ideas onto how we practice whatever it is that we practice, whether it's biblical counseling or EMDR. And so if you talk to EMDR uh, therapists, you'll find that some have glommed new age ideas on it. Some use hypnotism. And so you'll de- you'll see people doing it in different ways, which is what I'm talking about here. And again, biblical counseling is similar to that. No two biblical counselors are the same. People come to our ministry and they say, wow, I, I just haven't heard it explained that way. And you come at it from a different angle. Come at what? Come at biblical counseling from a different angle. You have a different way of saying it. We've, we've heard that the entire time of this ministry. And that's not it doesn't have to be a negative thing, but it's important for you to know that therapies are fluid, meaning you're not going to get the same thing at this therapist versus that therapist. And so you could go to one that does it a certain way and go to another that does it another way. And if you don't understand this idea of fluidity, it can be confusing to you. But all systems are fluid. Let me go back to my baseball analogy just for a moment. Pitchers, baseball pitchers, the idea of pitching is the same. You take a ball and you throw it toward the plate with the intent of striking out a batter. But that is a fluid therapy. That's a fluid process because no pitchers are the same. They do it differently. You have left-handed pitchers and right-handed pitchers. Most of you have never heard of Louis Tiant, but Louis Tiant was a pitcher back in the 60s and early 70s that when he threw the ball, actually, uh, you ought to Google uh, YouTube Louis Tiant Tiant and watch him uh, throw a baseball, that he faced center field. He didn't face the batter. He faced center field. 
before he threw the ball. And then you have the slider and the curveball and the fastball and the knuckleball and the spitball, of course, and the EFIS pitch, for those of you who are familiar with baseball. And so there, it's a fluid therapy. It's a fluid practice. People do it differently. And it's important that you understand that because somebody will come to you and they say, I went to an EMDR therapist and they did this. It's like, really? That's EMDR? I never heard that before. Because people glom their ideas on uh, to the actual main idea of what they're trying to do. And so EMDR is also one of those fluid therapies. And one of the things that you don't want to do is to succumb to what I call the acronym effect. The acronym, when you throw an acronym at something, people become fearful of it. I have ADHD. Oh my, I don't know what that is. That's And it sounds sciencey, doesn't it? And when you throw an acronym at something, at something, people will automatically disqualify themselves from being part of the help because it, it's intimidating. And don't succumb to the acronym effect when it comes to EMDR. Take some time to learn. I hope that this podcast will be part of that. I have a lot of links inside of these uh, show notes. This is episode 281, EMDR, Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing Therapy. And you can, I have a mind map here about how to think. And I, I, I use uh, this mind map to walk through Philippians 4, 8, think on these things. And so you can look at this mind map. I also have a video in here that you can watch, and I have a ton of links that will lead you to other articles that will help you. My point here is that the acronym effect is real, and once you throw an acronym at something, people will make this this false continuum that there's some kind of science involved here, and then they will disqualify themselves and and never come around to helping a person biblically because they feel like this is outside of of their league. It's kind of like when I tell my children when you know when when you walk in the room, I would tell them when you walk in the room, you walk in the room like you own it. And if you walk in the room like you own it, the human instinct is to take a step back because you look authoritative because you you walk into the room like you own it. And that's what the acronym effect is. So don't succumb to that, but get inside this idea of EMDR and learn what it is. And what you will see is that there is a sense, there is a scent of biblical teaching in this. As you've listened to me, uh, describe what EMDR is, I know some of you are already thinking of Philippians 4.8, where Paul went through this uh, idea of think on these things. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so Paul is teaching uh, how to focus your mind uh, on the right things. And he says, he says, the God, this is how he finishes Philippians 4.8. He says, if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. 
Now, there's an element there. There's a scent of, of Scripture in EMDR. And, and one of the things that you will find is that things that work in the secular realm, that there will be an echo of it out of Scripture. I'm not saying that they derived it from Scripture. I think most of these people that come up with stuff don't know anything about the Bible. But if it works, it's because there is a strain of application of this of Scripture into this idea. And so it brings us to the question of does EMDR work? Well, it can work. I mean, self-help can work. Self-esteem can work. PMA can work. Medication can work. But that's not the right question that we should be asking. There's another question, not can it work. It. The question is, what do you mean by work? What do, what do you mean by work? What is it that you want? Do you just want to fix this glitch, this this isolated issue that's in your in your life, even though it's big, like traumatic, it could be traumatic, uh, but are you just trying to fix this isolated thing, or, or are you looking for transformation? EMDR will not give you transformation. A self-help book will not give you transformation. It will get you over a hump. It will fix a glitch. And so when you say, does it work, what do you mean by, by that? And one of the things that I would want to ask, especially if a Christian is using <clears throat> EMDR, excuse me, uh, do they care about stewarding a, a sufficiency of Scripture worldview? Because once you open the door to secular modalities, you're leading away from Scripture. And if you care about sufficiency of Scripture, then my recommendation would be to move into a sufficiency of Scripture and move away uh, from these secular modalities. But I realize that some people can be so desperate for help that uh, they lean into pragmatism, as I was talking about earlier. And so when you ask the question, does it work? Well, what do you mean uh, by work, and there's a lot of other questions that you want to uh, you want to wrestle with. And then another aspect of this is the long-term effect. What is the long-term effect of EMDR? Well, can you have temporary change? Yeah, you can. You can experience some kind of change, and what we're talking about here is behavioral modification. You learn a new habit. It's the baseball player who pulls on his jersey that this is the process to uh, to hit the ball. This is the process to success. And so EMDR becomes the habit. And so it's a behavioral modification thing. Now, it's assuming that it works. I'm not recommending this at all. It's just a technique that may work for you one time. It may work for you several times. I don't know. It may not work for, for your friends. But here's one thing that is true. It will distance you from the Bible's help because there will not be heart transformation. You've just learned a technique. You just learned behavioral modification. And again, the culture has no choice but to walk through the woods and stumble upon things because they don't know the Bible, but they are hungry for answers. And if you don't know the Bible and you're hungry for answers, you will uh, cling to anything that has any hope of working for you. And so I get 
why Francine Shapiro uh, would get into this kind of thing and why other people would latch on it as well. But when Christians use these things, it's a little bit more complicated. And one, I have to ask the question, why would a Christian counselor, for example, why would a Christian counselor use this? Why would they make biblical counseling so fluid that they would glom on EMDR uh, to part of their processes? Now, the obvious answer to that question is that it, it speaks to their inability to counsel the Word that they don't know how to take God's Word. They wouldn't know how to take Philippians 4, 8, for example, and counsel God's Word. And so what they do is they make biblical counseling too fluid by grabbing these secular modalities and bringing it within a Christian counseling construct and using it. And the reason they do that, again, they don't know how to counsel God's Word. It's like a wannabe artist. They want to paint this beautiful picture, but they don't know how to paint. And so they get one of these sheets that's paint by numbers. It's got numbers over it. And what they are is they're novice artists who need a template to guide them in their attempt to help others. It's similar to uh, training wheels on a bicycle or a t-ball stand for the five-year-old. They don't know how to ride a bike. They don't know how to play baseball without a t-ball stand. They don't know how to paint uh, without painting by numbers. And so EMDR gives them a process uh, for doing that. And in my view, that is that is quite dangerous. And so if you'd like to talk to me about this or talk to our team about this, I, I would love to interact with you. Again, this is episode 281 EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy. I trust this has helped you, and please look at these show notes. There's a lot more information here that will benefit you. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.